Welcome to CAE Pilot Podcast, a podcast that brings together aviation professionals to discuss life as a pilot, training, and career advice. You can find us at cae.com forward slash CAE Pilot dash podcast or subscribe to our show on your audio podcasting platform of choice. You can also find our video podcast on our YouTube channel. Welcome to this edition of the CAE Pilot Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have Judy Choi, who is a simulator flight instructor at CAE Hong Kong. And she's going to tell us a little bit about a career option for pilots that may not be widely known. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a flight instructor. So Judy, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we'd like to start maybe by you telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up becoming an instructor at CAE. Okay, maybe first I can start off by talking about how I went to the aviation industry. So yeah, I was, when I was a kid, my dad used to work in the airport as customs officer and I used to drive he used to work in uh, Kai Tak Airport, which is the most of, uh, one of the most challenging airports uh, around the world before close down. So yeah, before that, I used to go up to the checkerboard and go do plane spotting. And then once when I was old enough, I joined the um, ECDES, which, uh, which was set up by the RAF uh, when Hong Kong was still a British colony. So yeah, before that, uh, once when I joined, then I was lucky enough to actually you know, get a lot of scholarships. And uh, once when I was old enough, I yeah, joined uh, one of the local airlines in Hong Kong. And I uh, started from there, flying 330. And then why did I uh, join as an instructor in CAE? It's because yeah, once I got injured from a hiking trip uh, when I was on leave. So I saw... Uh, CAE Hong Kong, just right across the road. And then I was thinking to myself, hey, I, I never explored this option, so why don't I just go and ask for it? And then eventually I just got into CAE, and now uh, I'm a part-time simulator flight instructor with CAE Hong Kong, instructing on the A320 and 330 for almost three years. And what was the transition like from an airline pilot to an instructor? I thought there was a lot of, suddenly a lot of workload because suddenly you're not on your own, you're just with a co-pilot. Yeah, it's, you, you have to take a back seat and essentially take care of the co-pilot, uh, the captain, and also, yeah, how, how are you gonna assess the CRM aspect of things and how can you assess the synergy of things, how you can get this session going? At CAE Hong Kong, our customers, there are several customers there, various airlines with different cultures, different uh, procedures. How do, you, uh, how do you adapt to each? You have to prepare a lot. <laughs> you have to always prepare because, yeah, you're so used to flying for one airline at a time, of course, yeah. You thought that you know the aircraft like the back of the hand. Over the past few podcasts, we've talked a lot about options that pilots who may be on furlough right now are looking for a different opportunity or ways to remain within the aviation industry while they wait for the recovery. And, um, but some people listening today might say, well, you know, instructor, it would be cool, but I don't know, like, I, I've never, you know, been into uh, teaching. 
How does CAE prepare you to become an instructor? So basically, CAE, of course, yeah, gave us uh, gave the instructors a lot of tool sets and also gave gave us sufficient trainings, yeah, according to the requirements, state requirements as well, as well as we're given a lot of opportunities to actually practice on, and there is a support network. I work, all my colleagues are very supportive as well. So, yeah, I can always ask for the advice and ask for the experiences. What about training on teaching skills specifically? Because I would venture to guess that, you know, people listening today will say, okay, well, I have the skills as a pilot and I, I have that and I'm confident in that, but it's the teaching skills part, the being, um, you know, in the simulator. And as you mentioned before, taking a back seat and adapting to different airlines. You know, I've never really done that before. Are there any specific courses that CAE provides on actually being an instructor? If you go to the CAE website, uh, CAE is actually providing a course uh, for the instructor rating as well. So if you are either you are type rated on an aircraft or you're not type rated on, on a specific aircraft type, uh, you are actually allowed to go for that as well. So I'm just summarizing them, yeah, in general. But of course, the course has to be provided with a state license approval and also with a subject to local authority requirements. So basically, generally, we have uh, approximately two weeks. So give or take like two, two weeks or three weeks, subject to your background and subject to well, different local requirements as well. And you, of course, you have the ground school of about a week a week of ground school, so essentially you have your basics, uh, you, you get a refresher as well. Yeah, maybe you've flown on an aircraft for like 10 years, so you have to use that because you need that refresher. Right. Yeah, and of course, you know, you have all sort of these world up, upgrades <laughs> on the aircrafts you may not possibly know of. And of course, after ground school days, you'll be, you'll be taught how to actually, well, stand up and instruct yeah, how to carry out a briefing, a debriefing session. And also, yeah, of course, here comes to the, on your practice, you have to go through the uh, FFS session. We call this, uh, we have got like at least three sessions. So it's full flight simulator sessions. So each of them, it takes like, at least two of them has to take like four hours because normally for one session, it takes four hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so two full four-hour session for that and one two-hour session for the, uh, for just major roles and maybe some something you want to heavily focus on, and then of course it'll be all followed by performance assessment of all these. Yeah, so CAE has to make sure that we have to be all qualified and also we will be uh, proficient enough to do our job. And what would you say? You've been a trainer now for about three years. What would you say is the most yeah. difficult part of your job? The most difficult part of my job is to be able to empathize with people. I'm still, of course, every day is still learning for everybody. Yeah, but of course, it is essentially very important. And essentially, it's the most difficult part because I'm only, I'm with my background only. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it is good to actually gain more perspective in order to be able to empathize with everybody, especially my trainees, to get them and help them grow and learn. And would you say that you learn a lot from your trainees? Yes, definitely. 
yeah, I learn a lot. I learn a lot every day. And what would you say are the most essential qualities um, for an instructor? The most essential qualities in CAE, we have the three pillars of instructor, namely the teaching skills, communication skills, and also style and adaptability. It forms part of the empathy aspect of things yeah, that I've just talked about as well. What would you, as an instructor, what would you say a typical day at the office is like? Yeah, a typical day in the office, of course, it starts off with preparation. When I first started, yeah, as instructor, of course, I had to at least, like, come back in the office, like, <laughs> like uh, at least uh, one and a half hour before, yeah, just to go through every notes that I take, then, of course, and uh, because we have updated um, manuals every now and then with different airlines and with different local authorities, so you need to spend more time. So basically you go and go to the office and go on in the network and check everything to see what's updated, what's not updated. Yeah. And then just go through all the slides just to make sure nothing's missed out. Yeah. And then I can start up with session. So yeah, once when I start with my session, then after after all these, yeah, after all the briefing and then session debriefings, then I will finish up with my reports and then just go off. And also, yeah, if I have anything to say, anything to discuss with my peers, I can go out often just go on and have a beer and just talk about it. I, yeah, I tend to, yeah, I, I, I can, yeah, after work and also, yeah, talk to my friends who are nearby with all the airlines, yeah, and all the training centers to go and have beer over drinks and talk about how to improve and what sort of, what are the news in the industry as well? Like this doesn't sound very different in a lot of ways to showing up at the airport, preparing for your flight, doing the pre-flight briefing, doing your flight. It, like there's a lot of similarities I would say between, you know, a typical day at the office as a, as a pilot and as an instructor. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities, basically just another day in the flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And- and you, you mentioned you're, so you're a simulator flight instructor, but there's other types of instructors. Can you tell us just for, for those who don't know, maybe just go over the, uh, the different types of instructors that uh, yeah. people can become? Yeah. Yeah. Again, the most common types, yeah, you can see uh, they're called SFIs. But of course, uh, they're essentially in the States, somebody call it a simulator flight instructor. And in Europe, uh, they call it a static flight instructor, yeah. And, but it all depends on the local well, state license approval and different requirements. Uh, they, they might get the different requirements when you're going, when you're under specific authority, but uh, essentially TRI, type rating instructor, and mm-hmm. also the type rating TRE, that's examiner. So basically what we need to do is, basically what well, is highly subjected to all the local state requirements. But essentially, if we're talking about generally for SFIs, you have to be at least holding or you have hold a license, say CPL, MPL or ATPL, right? And you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not necessarily need, needed to be type rated on a specific aircraft type. So, but at least if you are actually 
instructing on a 3.30 or a 3.20, say for example, you have to be, you have to went through, uh, to have gone through a type rating course, full type rating course for that. And for a TRI, basically, you have to be current on the type. Yep, so that's a major difference there. You have to right. be current on type. But for some, like, really, what uh, different state for, um, for different region, maybe they can promote you into SFI. They have the same privileges as the TRI as well. Right, so say, for example, if, I, if I'm rated on 330 already, I can be SFI and also TRI on the type because I'm right. rated. Yeah. So this is pretty much the same, but for examiner, but of course you have a special privilege of exercising the checking part of part of things. So basically, uh, there's a minimum requirement of you have to be at least an SFI or a TRI for at least three years in order to get through to the TRE stage. So you're but of almost course, there. It's the <laughs> yeah, almost there. <laughs> yeah, but in Hong Kong, yeah, I'm just about to get there. Just <laughs> <Yes>, in Hong Kong, <laughs> yeah. Well, it could be three years as a minimum. Right. <laughs> yeah, but of course, it's not uncommon that for airlines, yeah, they they probably give you like ten ten years, twelve years to wow. start with. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would imagine that it's teamwork, right? That uh, all the different instructors work together to yeah, exactly. You know, with the student yeah. in mind, I think you know. One of the misconceptions I think people might have is that, you know, the instructors, when you come into the training center, you know, the instructors are really there to watch you and they're looking for every possible way to fail you. Um, but I think that's a misconception, if I'm not mistaken. It is entirely a misconception. <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, especially with the COVID, yeah, it is totally unnecessary to give another stress to your trainees. Yeah. And also yourself, because everybody is worrying every day yeah for pilots they're worrying about the job security especially they're worrying about their family they're worrying about everything what we don't want the most is to add any amount of stress on trainees in the training so you have to make sure that every day we have to make sure and also yeah we i think yeah you've covered it uh, in the episode four yeah the, People are dealing with anxiety and we have to make sure that people are free to speak up and people are actually free of anxiety, basically. So how do you do that? How do you take someone who's got all these stresses that you've already mentioned, they walk into the training center, you can see that they're anxious, they may not have flown for quite some time, and they're here and they have, you know, the weight of the world on their shoulders. What do you do as an instructor to put them at ease and to, to put them in a state where they can perform at their best? First of all, yeah, just get them to speak up, <laughs> ask questions. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, just say, how are you doing? Yeah, and maybe sometimes yeah, you can see that these guys, well, just look like a zombie. <laughs> so, yeah, you look like a zombie, so what happened? Yeah, did you have enough sleep? Because the first thing that you need to address this. Have they got enough sleep? Because if they don't have enough rest, they're not going to perform well. If mm -hmm. they're not going to perform well, that well, that's that's how time wasted. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not saying that they're wasting the time, but it's just you have to make sure that they're fit. 
in the current context of the pandemic, I think wellness has become the the big piece of, you know, making sure you're rested, making sure you're taking care of yourself. And I think this is a lot of what you're saying is to the first thing that you do when someone shows up is to make sure that they're okay and to, to set them up for success. Yeah. Now let's, uh, let's, let's do some myth busting if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's right. So my friend Renault gave me these uh, these myths. So let's see uh, let's see if they're true or not. So the first one: there are nasty trainers out there whose only goal is to fail pilots and make their lives difficult in the simulator. Not true. So basically, first of all, there are all sorts of people in the world. <laughs> yeah, in every industry. <laughs> right. Yeah, if you don't get along with them. It's not a problem. Yeah, you will get. This is actually a very good learning point that you see those, you see these people. But yeah, that's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and we have very good support network in cases that we have to make sure that everybody does their job properly. Yeah, in any cases, and of course, if you see that these people, yeah, you, you just can't work with these people. Of course, you can. You have to make sure that you speak up because if you don't speak up, yeah, you you just think it inside your head, right? Then yeah. I was going to say the flip side can also be true though. You can have someone show up at training, and be equally nasty. So how does exactly. uh, how does how do you deal with that? Someone who walks in and you know they're just unhappy from the get go. Actually, very good in a training session. Yeah, I I would always ask somebody. Say, for example, the captain was not listening at all, right? Was not listening to his or her co-pilot. Yeah. Normally, I would I would just let the session run because you have to make sure that your simulator session has to be as realistic as possible. Right. Yeah. Normally, there won't be. Just a guy were at the back, like sitting all the time. Yeah, so if uh, well, he or she was not a second officer or so, or a cabin crew. I can work mm-hmm. as a cabin crew as well. Yeah, I I could ask them. Yeah, do you, do you want some coffee or tea? Or I'd say, Captain, I think you speak you're speaking too loudly. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll just go. <laughs> yeah, grab something to eat. But of course, I will. For for some cases, if one of the guys is just very nasty, I'll just ask the other guy, "What do you think about it?" Yeah. You must have some interesting debriefs then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I can go along the way. If they're very nasty, I'll just hop in as an ATC as well because it's realistic. Yeah. Well, if I they're see. arguing in a cockpit, yeah. You, you have millions of ways to deal with it. It sounds like your job is a little bit of acting at the same time. And I'm, I'm just seeing a different side of it. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. Like you have these. You have these different roles you can play along the way to to create a, a scenario where um, you know you you get the either you get the best out of people. Yeah, it, it's uh, well easier to to do it that way. But of course, every instructor has different style. But yeah, it's just yeah my take of doing things and any kind of just give them some sort of objectivity into it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, there could be a new like uh, for the Academy Awards, you know best instructor in a difficult session goes to and you could win it for your acting <laughs> okay stupid joke um another myth um i've made mistakes in the simulator before 
so I can't apply to become a trainer as I'm not perfect. Then you have to eliminate eliminate all human error, <laughs> which is not possible, basically. <laughs> yeah. So everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. As I said, yeah, I I forgot stuff as well. Next one. Failing a simulator ride means the end of a pilot's career. No, that's entirely not true. So what do you mean? It is an end of pilot's career. I have never heard of, or could I see any? Anyone failing one similar ride and they cannot go well fly anymore in their entire life. But of course, you have to make sure that why you fail. Yeah, you have to know that why you fail, right? Maybe you have four exams or four checks. Uh, you have specific, very specific requirements. Yeah, right. in order to get you, yeah, you have to fly safely. What is the definition of flying safely? Maybe you have you. You must not turn like in a turn. You cannot go over like ten degrees. Yeah, on a heading. Yeah, blah blah blah. But of course, if you know what is your problem, maybe your problem is the many flying aspect of things. But of course, yeah, well, it will be very easy fix to this. For the solution is just to fly more. Yeah, just give you more training. That's it. Right. Yeah, if you're too stressed about it, no problem. Yeah, just go take a rest and come back and see if you can prove better. And again, yeah. I, th- I think that everything you're saying points to, you know, you're really there as a as a partner in the training, right? That you're there to help people get through this, not to not to point out their mistakes and to you know come down on them. I guess. Yeah, it's not a catcher game. <laughs> yeah, it's not ha ha catcher. Yeah, you fall into the trap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, everybody's just jokingly says that, yeah, don't fall into this trap, don't fall into this trap. Yeah, <laughs> it's not entirely a trap, yeah. It's um, just, yeah, we, we create some problems for you to deal with and to see how you're dealing with it. Because by the end of the day, yeah, you're, you're just the only ones who are entrusted to be on the seat and fly the aircraft and to fly it safely. All right, so we've busted that one too. So far, we're, uh, we're three for three. Um, next one. To pass a simulator as- assessment, you need to impress the trainer by showing him or her that you know absolutely everything and that you make absolutely no mistakes. <laughs> yeah, human error. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, everybody will make mistakes. But the thing is, every instructor has his or her own preference, of course. Yeah, they have their style of doing things. Yeah, if if that's a better word of putting it. Yeah, they, they have the wrist style. But of course, um, I don't think it is good idea to actually to second guess, which it is a common thing that people do anyway, mm-hmm. well, which, which I understand because, yeah, normally you, you know their preferences, but it essentially, well, it is not necessary to please the instructor because it won't help you at the end of the day to fly the aircraft safely. But do you ever get someone who comes in and just wants to impress you wants exactly. to, well, uh, wants to want, or show or show off or you know show that you know they that not not that they know more than you but they just want to hey look at me i'm great you know all the time all the time <laughs> also people they, they come here and say yeah i know everything blah 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 maybe they read up they, they've read up like well maybe they stay up all day yeah just read that through like 2000 pages yeah in a manual and yeah remember that and recited all that to you well that that doesn't bother me 
yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. You know, <laughs> that's good. You know, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. If you can retain it, that's fine too. Yeah, that's great. Each trainer has his or her own standards. So being successful in the simulator really does depend on the instructor. As I said, well, I think it's just a better word to put it. It's just every instructor has his or her style. But there is a standard <laughs> guideline that you follow to yeah, exactly. assess people, that's right? Why, yeah, that's why in the, every airline and also in the, in the training centers around the world, basically, the, the training departments will have standardization. They have standardization meetings regularly and they also just to make sure that everyone is on the same path so our instruction has to be consistent right yeah your style can be different yeah but style's different but as you say the standards are consistent yeah the standards are here yeah Yeah. it has to be consistent can we do some light-hearted stuff do you mind okay first thing i'll ask you what is the best thing about your job the best thing about my job is to be able to learn. <laughs> yeah. And to make mistakes and learn something that I've never learned of. <laughs> yeah. And cultural differences are amazing. I remember I was at an air show in Shanghai and um, yeah. the, the, the people who were acting as security guards who seemed to be dressed in military uniforms marched in as if like marched in. And I was so surprised by this because here we are you know, it was a business aviation show and I'm looking around and it just felt so out of place. But I guess as an instructor, you're called upon really to deal with people from around the world, different cultures. So it's a, it's a testament to the way you do your job that you are able to take someone, especially from such a regimented uh, background, and you were able to get through to them in your own way. So kudos, uh, kudos for that. I think it's fantastic. Um, what would the little girls looking up at the airplanes landing at Kai Tak and, you know, in between the buildings and all the last minute turns? I, was, I used to be a flight attendant and uh, I went to Hong Kong. The first time I went to Hong Kong, the Kai Tak had already closed. And after seeing so many videos, I was like, oh, you know, I would have loved to have experienced that particular landing because I think it's known to be one of the most uh, interesting. Um, but what would, what would the little girl standing there think if she knew like where you are now what would you tell the little girl standing there just and keep would, going and would you say that you are you are you living your dream yeah for sure yeah i'm looking forward to more <laughs> <laughs> and um your dad must be very proud too that you went from you know working that day you were able to work in aviation and sort of carry on the family tradition i mean many families are aviation families of course oh no yeah they're all right they're all right <laughs> <laughs> all right i tried tried for the emotional moment it didn't work fine um i think what's also interesting about your story and what you just said is right now obviously um you know as airlines are recovering there's a lot of pilots out there who are saying oh you know, uh, what am I going to do now? You know, I can't fly. And, you know, they're, they're talking about a recovery, not being for the next two, possibly three years uh, or more. Um, you know, and there's something that I've heard over and over again. And I think that you've just said it there when you said, keep on going. You know, I, I spoke to a business aviation pilot who said, you know, 
when I wasn't able to find a job right away, I went to clean aircraft. And through that, I met someone who was looking for a pilot, and I've been a pilot ever since in exactly the area I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be. Um, and I think you said it too. You know, you one, you know, when you you had uh, when you had when you made your career switch, you sort of left one place and you went on and you continued in what you loved. So, what would you tell people right now who are either on furlough or even brand new students who are sort of, you know, getting into the whole being cadets and everything, and are like, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, what would you tell them? Yeah, just. Keep yourself motivated. Yeah, find a way to keep yourself mo- motivated. Yeah, don't demotivate yourself. And also, there's actually, well, as yeah, you covered in the last episodes, of course, yeah, well, big things happen. Airlines, well, it's not the first day that airlines got broke. Yeah, 20 years earlier on, 10 years earlier on, well, a lot of airlines got broke. Well, well, there has been pilots losing their jobs, and then eventually they got a way back, yeah, into the industry. Well, two thousand eight, yeah, financial crisis, and of course, a lot of people lose their jobs as well, right? So, but the thing with the COVID, yeah, with this unprecedented pandemic, well, I can say, I can see that um, there is actually a, a lot of us are actually being a lot more resilient towards dealing with the unexpected, right? So that's really good for us, really. Yeah, we keep on building the resiliency in ourselves because, yeah, that applies to, well, every one of us and especially for pilots as well. We're including pilots. Yeah, we want ourselves to be proficient, of course. Yeah, that's why we have all the recurrency trainings and that's why we have got all the, well, even online courses, yeah. I've seen, yeah, everybody is taking online courses and stuff. Yeah, to keep yourself recurrent, proficient, and also qualified. Yeah, and everybody's been working on that. The authority has been working on that. The operator has been working on that. Yeah, to keep every pilot qualified. And also, it has left to ourselves to become resilient and also confident in ourselves. Yep, so as long as we're confident and we keep on building on the resiliency of, in ourselves. That will help us go through. And I think uh, that's, a, that's the perfect message, I think. Uh, it's a different take. I, it's a question that I ask everybody. Um, and yours is a very different, very positive take on it. And I appreciate that. The last thing I wanted to ask you is this. There are people who've watched this or listened to this podcast and have said, oh my God, I need to become an instructor. This is the next step in my career, what would you say to them? Do a lot of research first. (laughs) Right. Yeah, don't just take what I said as it is. Don't just take what anybody said as it is. Yeah, you have to do a lot of research. You have to prepare a lot at first. Yeah, as I said, the world is changing. We have to get started with new norms. Yeah, I don't have the most updated knowledge about things. Yeah, but of course, you have to actually step up you have to take the step and actually go and yeah, to, to look for yourself if this is actually good for you. Say for example, well, nobody in Hong Kong will essentially will thought about, well, well, not nobody. Well, but that was well, very rarely. Yeah. So very rarely, well, well, no, nobody. Yes. Nobody in my age actually asked 
before right. me. Yeah, so that's why I, yeah, just have a go. If you had that idea, you think that, hey, I want to be an instructor, go for it. But of course, you have to do a lot of research. You have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Don't just file, hand in the application and, oh, uh, yeah. And then you've got to send back and say, no, no, you're not qualified. <laughs> yeah, you have to make sure that you have to reach, you will be qualified, you are actually capable of being qualified. Then, of course, when you're asked, you'll be supported by that. I think those are beautiful words to, uh, to, uh, to end on. To, uh, you know, you, uh, you do the job, you know what it's like, you've provided some great food for thought, and, um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. So thank you very much, Judy. Thanks. That's better. And as we go, I just want to remind everyone to go visit um, our new pilot platform, airside.arrow. There's a ton of great resources for pilots looking for the next step, looking to um, looking for resources, basically, as we uh, go through um, this pandemic. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the CAE Pilot Podcast. Take care. CAE Pilot Podcast is brought to you by CAE, the global leader in training for the civil aviation, defense and security, and healthcare markets. For more information, check out CAE.com.